What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Muscles and Management. Already at episode 190. Cannot believe it. Time is flying. Um, I'm fired up today. I have some things I definitely want to talk about before we get into today's topic about load management in season. Funny enough as it is, the things I'm ranting about are some of the things that I'm seeing pop up during the spring season with some of our athletes and uh, you know some things that I definitely want to talk about. So super excited to get into that. I'm going to talk about my week in tweets as usual, get to a follower question, which again, I promise I did not plan this out. The follower question does relate to a topic that is going to be um, you know definitely something of use when we talk about load management in season today um, for the show. So super excited for all of this and everything we're going to be going over today. I think load management in season is a big, um, you know, topic that a lot of people want to know, you know, different hacks and different things and mindsets and kind of, uh, what I've developed over the last six years to kind of help us guide through that process. So, uh, we're going to get through it all today, but first hit my damn intro music. This is the muscles and management podcast where we build your body and your business talking all things, training, sports, performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches. To enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. All right, guys, super excited to be here with you today, episode 190. As I said, it kind of just dawned on me as I'm sitting here to record this that we're actually at 190 already. Pretty crazy. Um, you know, 200's right around the corner. And, uh, you know, I just still remember just starting out the show and, um, you know, seeing how far we've come has been pretty cool. I do want to say that it's looking like Thursday will be the new uh, day that the shows are going to drop. I kind of switched it based on just the scheduling of, you know, what the gym is looking like. Wednesdays seem to be a little bit easier around here in terms of my schedule and things that I have to do. And uh, I have been enjoying recording the show only a day before I release it. Keeps it super current with not only the tweets I'm going over from my week in tweets, but follower questions. And it honestly allows me um, really good flexibility in terms of topics that relate to what's going on right now versus me recording an episode in January and releasing it in April where, you know, it's not really kind of current to what's, you know, what the landscape is. So right now spring sports started, uh, you know, we're in the middle of March, things are going on all cylinders, especially for baseball players. And, you know, I think today's topic about load management in season kind of goes right along with that. And it makes kind of me, um, you know, able to do a better show, a show that's going to be, uh, you know, more in tune with what's going on right now, things that we're experiencing in the gym, um, you know, maybe some issues we're having with scheduling kids or, you know, things that I'm seeing. I said I'm pretty fired up about, you know, what uh, has been going on with in-season stuff. And I think the biggest thing that aggravates me is you can just tell when, you know, someone says they can't train in-season and it's more of like a, I'm not prioritizing that versus, you know, I just legitimately don't have time. Um, I come from and I was raised by a person, my dad, who was very big on like, you make time. If you don't make time for something, it's just not that important to you. So I still, excuse me, I still really firmly believe that when athletes don't uh, train consistently during the season or say they don't have time for it, it's not that they don't have time. It's that I think they still don't understand the importance of it or they prioritize um, things the wrong way. And I get it. Like, you're an athlete first. Like, you're not getting a college scholarship because you trap bar deadlift a lot, or you're not getting a college scholarship because you uh, have a perfect attendance record in season. But what I'm trying to say is, I think that so many athletes still undervalue 
what they can gain, especially young athletes, what they can gain from in-season training. Um, and I think that they overvalue things like skill training, especially when they're in-season. Like, if you're a baseball player and you're getting 150 to 200 swings, um, you know, every day or two in practice and you're making all these throws, like – you see no problem with parents shoehorning a baseball hitting lesson in, um, you know, when the athlete's taken 500 swings in the last two weeks, but, you know, they have trouble getting to an hour of strength training. And I think that there's a misconception with, um, you know, the idea that you can just train in season and magically hold on to everything that you built. Um, and you're not going to have a trouble or have issues losing, uh, those qualities like the power and speed that you've built by not training for two months. And that's just completely wrong. So I really do want to make sure, um, you know, I address that. Let me actually just back up a second because I forgot to do this. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you have not already. I appreciate it as always. Check out this week or last week, excuse me, last week's episode 189 on power progressions with athletes. Kind of everything you need to know about progressing power uh, training with your athletes. He may be biased, but Mike said that uh, that was an absolute masterclass of an episode. So uh, you know, good feedback from him as he was doing the timestamps on it. So check it out if you guys haven't already. It got a lot of good feedback in terms of walking you through how to develop power with your athletes. So I just wanted to make sure I touched on those things uh, before we went anywhere. Um, all right. So yeah, I just, the, the overall frustration with the lack of importance placed on training, I think uh, in season is, is pretty big. Uh, Zach Dakin even tweeted out yesterday, like, or he Instagrammed, he, he tagged me in his story. I think it was me, Joseph Potts and DJ Edwards at uh, push performance training. Basically like the biggest mistake that people make is just selling out dollars for random sporting lessons where, you know, a hundred bucks, $125 for an hour of hitting where you could spend literally $300 for the entire month of strength training month in and month out. And, you know, get a really big uh, return on your investment when it comes to uh, pairing that with the sport practices and everything that the athlete has. So I, I think that's just a, a really good point to kind of start things off. Um, in terms of my tweets for this week, these actually really uh, jived well with this topic too, a couple of them. First one I had, I actually put this out this morning. Differences I've noticed in elite athletes versus average athletes, the elite. Find time to train even with crazy schedules, seek to learn the process and not have their hands held, are very ritual and habit-driven, don't require instant gratification with results. So defining time to train even with crazy schedules is just obvious right off the bat. Like, hey, my practice is till this time, uh, I'm going to come in and train at this time. Um, you know, setting things ahead of time, setting schedules, like looking to see what their practice schedule is so they can make the, you know, scheduling changes they need to with their training, you know, trying to squeeze in training in whatever free time that they have. Um, you could tell right away. It's the, the, I hate to, to get corny here, but the old adage of like when you're dating, um, you know, and a girl either texts you this or a guy texts you this, like, Oh, sorry. I didn't get back to you for the last 10 hours. I had a really busy day. Like, no, like people are on their phones all day and you know, they can answer a text message if they really want to. Like if you have ever met a person in your dating life that you really were into, you find it whatever excuse you can to take your phone out and send them a text. Like people literally live on their phones all day. If someone's not getting back to you, it's because they're really not into talking to you. And I equate that to like if an athlete says they don't have time to train or hasn't found time to train and just keeps saying how busy they are, odds are it's just not that important to them and not something they prioritize. Like we have the kids that are really dedicated to it and want to get better that pop in, you know, after a practice with their friggin' baseball pants still on, uh, and then they get changed. Like they come in right from practice. Uh, I had a kid come in with his stirrups on yesterday. Like those are the kids, you know, odds are those are the kids that get the most results in what we're doing and are honestly our favorite athletes to train because of, you know, making our lives easier. Like 
we have enough things to do as coaches with programming and helping train you to not be hounding you to make sure you get your training in. Like having to have that in the back of your mind and you need to constantly text somebody to make sure they schedule their training is just very exhausting and it's just not something that we should be doing. We're not babysitters and it takes away from our ability to actually get you better with what you really need our help with. So I think that was just something, um, you know, that I, that I really was thinking about today and like how are our elite athletes or any athletes that I've worked with over the past several years, like what things that they've shown me and the characteristics that I've seen compared to other athletes. So just something that I thought was, was pretty fitting. Uh, this one. Hey, you. Yes, I'm talking to you, coach. You probably care far more about details most of your athletes don't even think about. I promise you're being harder on yourself than you have to be, and you're doing much better than you think you are. Keep going. Um, this is a big one. I'm guilty of this sometimes where we, I, I'm just too hard on myself. Like, did I do that wrong? Like, how could I have handled this? I saw Pat Basil put out a really good tweet about like the coach that obsesses about the row variation they're going to use. When if you just left it to be the same for four to five weeks in a row, the athlete isn't really going to notice um, you know, they're still getting better. They're still doing something that's improving, uh, you know, what they are, you know, trying to get better at, which is getting stronger. I think, you know, and, and that resonated with me because how many times, you know, you want to change the accessory exercises that you're doing because, you know, you want to give the athletes variability. You don't want them to get bored and you're worried they're going to think you're a bad coach or you're lazy because they haven't done a different row for the last 20 straight weeks in a row. Like you just, you gotta be less hard on yourself, right? Like the odds are, uh, you know, you're, you are obsessing over something that no one else is even noticing and you're beating up on yourself when you don't have to be. And I think that like, if people can see coaches like me and Pat and other coaches talk about that, people that like say, Oh, like those guys are pretty successful. Those girls are pretty successful as coaches. Like we could, you know, really do a big service to the young coach coming up. That's just really stressed out and putting way too much pressure on themselves by saying like, no, you're doing a good job, and it's okay because we worry about these things sometimes too. And I know I definitely do. So I wanted to definitely you know, touch on that. Uh, this was from yesterday, and I wanted to talk about this because I wanted to get some time to throw back at some pushback. Major strength coach red flag. If their main or first marketing slash promotion of their coaching abilities is their own athletic career, probably not a good way to go. Experience playing college sports doesn't equal knowledge of training. So the one, um, you know, the one – pushback that I got a guy that didn't play would also be a red flag for me so I guess we can just put a red flag anywhere judge the fruit of his work instead of trying to find what's wrong with it but these are cool and then he put the red flag emoji um you know he really tried to dunk on me with that and, and my response was well I would try to judge the fruit of their labor but they literally or their work but they don't talk about that all they talk about is oh I played wide out for New Mexico State in 2016 and uh, I ran a 4640 so I can teach your son or daughter to run faster than that guy because he played D3 baseball like who gives a shit, dude? Like, do you know how to actually teach people to sprint? Or were you genetically gifted and, and you did a, a good job as a sprinter because you had a good genetics, right? And, and you have no earthly fucking clue on how to train people, right? Said I'm fired up today. I'm fired up. Um, another comment. What if the coach is just starting up? They advertise that they went from X mile per hour to X or from this school to pro ball, etc. If they can document that they built themselves up, like they built their velocity up and they know how it happened... Like, I don't care if you went to the best trainer in North America and they got you better. If you have no clue how that happened, that, that doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you went from 80 to 94 and you have literally no clue how it worked or what happened, but you just start touting like, oh, as a player, I went from 80 to 94 miles an hour. I could help you too. You could help them or could the coach that helped you could help them? Like, let's, let's be honest here, right? 
And that's our biggest issue. Like, if you go and, and someone's, you know, website is filled with them, uh, uh, pictures of them playing sports in college, or all they talk about when you ask them, like, why does this work? Or, like, how do you know that this other person's method doesn't work? And they say, oh, like, I played Division One, or I played, um, you know, minor league baseball or whatever the hell it is, and that person didn't, so I'm automatically better than them. No. Do you know principles? Do you know how things work? Did you suck at your sport? Maybe, like, you couldn't hit a baseball as well as that other guy, but you know how to develop a body better than that other guy, right? Maybe you know the mechanics of the movement just as well as them. From a physical standpoint, you didn't execute it as well. Like, who gives a shit? Are the people that are in the the, the people that are um you know in a rocket ship on the moon? Did they you know tell people that uh, they know more than the, the the hundreds of people that were in the control rooms making that happen? Right? Like, you got to think about that. So I, I think it's just something that kind of gets me annoyed when it's like a crutch that people, you know, lean on to say that they're automatically better as a strength coach or they could be a good strength coach because of the level they played in sport when it doesn't always mean anything. Again, I have no problem with that being an extra benefit to what you offer if on top of being a really good practitioner, you also played at a high level sport and it, and it heeds experiences and things that like can be helpful to athletes, that's fine. But don't you you cannot make that the one main thing that you lean on or put in your in your the feather in your cap that you're a good coach because of that. And I think that's an issue. Next. Can we do stuff that helps power and strength specific to our position? I promise you guys, if you are a young, untrained athlete, these things will have crazy carryover. Max speed sprinting, plyometrics, building a full body strength in one to five rep ranges. Don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, it's just, it's getting exhausting to me to keep going over this. But, like, if you're a baseball catcher, you don't need to go to a person and just say it in a squat the entire time and slide around side to side. Right? Like... You're literally 14 years old, and you you literally you, you can't walk in a straight line athletically, right? Just get faster. Just get stronger. Stop worrying about this bullshit. Like, you go to your skills coach, work on catching, and just get stronger in your lower body and more powerful and explosive in your lower body, and I promise you it is going to transfer over to what you do in baseball. Same thing goes for any other sport, right? Too many people try to put the cart before the horse, and again, I blame it on these circus trick trainers that are out there doing this crazy, stupid stuff, right? Like... That's why I get so tight about it because kids see this stuff and they think they need to do it. So that's all I have to say about that. Next. Hey, coach, really respect your knowledge and would love to learn from you. Do you have time for a call or to help with programming? Me. I charge blank rate, would love to help you. Gets radio silence. Funny how much the enthusiasm about someone's knowledge fades when it's not free. Stop feeling like you are entitled to stuff, people, really, right? Like, I saw a tweet, I'm pretty sure it was a subtweet of me yesterday, because after, a couple hours after I tweeted out about the idea of, like, taking structured, organized calls with people, and, like, helping them, and, and, and going through things with them, and charging a fee for it, almost like as a consultation, like, oh, I saw a coach post about this, that they're gonna, like, charge money for calls, like, just don't take the call. If someone is willing to spend money and wants to sit down with you and have you write notes down for them, and map out an entire plan for them, and they want to pay for that, it's just like training somebody, right? I, I'm sorry, but, like, I get the whole, and I get pissed about this, like charging someone to be on their podcast. That's fine. Just say no. You don't want to go on their show, right? If someone values the knowledge that you have and wants to pick your brain from programming to coaching to business, why is it any different than if they want to train with you, right? If I want to charge somebody a small fee, you know, to, to, to help them with something, give them actual productive, constructive, and applicable information, I think that's totally fine, right? And my biggest gripe with this was is the people that slide in your DMs. Big, big red flag to me is if you don't even follow follow me or follow another coach and you you message them asking for help, like clearly what we put out that's free isn't that important to you. You don't even follow us, right? So get the hell out of my DMs with that. I, I, like seriously, like 
I post all this free stuff week in and week out that helps people, and I'm, I'm pretty good about it, and you know, you don't even follow the person and you DM them asking for help with something? No. What I'm really referring to here is, oh, hey, would like to do remote coaching and programming. Really respect what you do. And you you get back to them, and it's going to cost 100 150 bucks a month and not be $6, and they don't answer you. Don't waste my time. Things are going to cost money, right? People have to make a living. If you really value someone's expertise, there's a cost to that expertise. You're not just paying for the, the information they're giving you in that given moment. You're paying for the years and years and years that have built up to make their, their information and knowledge matter enough to actually really help you get better. So that, that's the last thing I have to say about that. Like too many coaches out there are giving out free content, putting out podcasts, putting out multiple posts a day that are helpful with information to, to, to have people entitled in their DMs and, and to balk at them for thinking they should get you know compensation for taking an hour or two out of their day and actually spending brain power and energy on helping somebody. Don't text me and be like, hey, I want to set up a Zoom with you. Do the right thing. Maybe there is a coach, or maybe I would respond saying, hey, like I'll jump on a call. And I've jumped on calls with coaches before that have that have gone about it the right way. You just don't jump in someone's DMs and say, hey, let's do a Zoom this week. Like, who are you? Seriously. Last but not least. And I promise I'm not this mean. I just get angry when people, like, get mad at a coach trying to make a living and charging money for, like, the information and knowledge they have that can help people. Like, you know, I, I in my particular case, we have athletes, many athletes that come to us in person that require our time and our energy. It would be unfair to them to be spending multiple hours a week just giving people free information out on top of all the stuff that gets posted on social media, taking brain power and energy away from the people that pay money to actually come and train. That's my, that's my take on it. Uh, last but not least, my favorite ways to build lean mass, hypertrophy. One, 10 to 12 rep range for extended or extended to 15 rep range. These should be fatiguing, not a cakewalk. Two, slow and control tempo, holds negatives, keep it slow. Three, 45 seconds to one minute of combined tension per set of accessory. Four, drop sets. this guy was like, oh, that washes off in the shower. First and foremost, let me just tell you this. For me personally, because I'm pretty friggin' big, it doesn't wash off in the shower. And for the athletes that we've had who put on 15 to 20 pounds of muscle over the course of a year, it does not, quote unquote, wash off in the shower. This whole obsession with sarcoplasmic versus myofibril hypertrophy that like doing 12 to 15 reps purely just creates a a blood flow and uh, heightened pump around your muscles that diminishes, it's, it's not as true as you think it is, right? The other biggest thing that he, the guy said to me was, oh, like, you know, these movements are too slow to have any direct transfer. They're accessories, dude. Look at Charlie Francis's motor unit recruitment chart, and he literally has sport, sprints, jumps, Olympic lifts, explosive training, all that other stuff, all the way down to, to accessory-based exercises. So you're supposed to tell me that we are never, ever, ever supposed to train above three to five reps because it's, it's too slow and makes athletes slower? We, we need accessory exercises to build up support musculature for the rest of our movements, right? So, like, doing a 10-rep Nordic hamstring is bad because it makes the athlete slower? Or are they not getting faster with all of the sprint work that we're doing and the jump training that we're doing? Do we not do any high-rep work capacity, you know, training in the beginning of an off-season to build back, build back loss lean muscle mass from a long and grueling season, right? Are we just not supposed to do that stuff anymore because every single single thing we do in the gym needs to have our hair on fire? Do we not build an aerobic base with lower intensity cardio? Does that not help? Do we not do that because that just makes you slower? 
Stop having this all-or-nothing mentality with training. There are gray areas to things. Hypertrophy for accessories complements the speed and strength work we're doing beforehand. It's good for you. 10 to 12 to 15 reps with slow time under tension. You know, guys like Charles Poliquin and famous bodybuilders have talked about it for years. And they were pretty good at getting people bigger, right? Like, let's stop making this be a, oh, we always have to train, you know, fast and heavy to get better. We love doing fast stuff and heavy stuff. I talk about it all the time. you got to rest long enough between sprints. You know, sprint as fast as you can. Like, the only way you're going to get results. It doesn't mean you can't do high rep accessories. One, they work, right? We have a kid that came in here after ACL reconstruction surgery. He's built back almost, almost his entire quadricep balance back in terms of, you know, what was atrophied from the surgery. And a lot of it was from 12 to 15 rep, super slow, three negatives, five second holds, you know, higher, you know, repetition based stuff. It works. I wouldn't say that for the past six years, it has not worked. Everyone always looks at me, you know, outside of the you know, good genetics that I was blessed with. Like, how do you get big? Because that's a lot of what I do in my training. It works. All right. And miss me with the whole, like, if you, you know, train uh, slow negatives and things like that, it gets the body used to being slower. They're accessory exercises, right? If you have, if you want to go with that mentality, before you do, just make sure you understand how much of your training you're no longer going to be able to do, right? And, and then my biggest beef was to respond to that was like, oh, like, if, I guess if I don't agree with you, like, it means I'm, I'm, you have to be, get personal and be upset about it. Like, that's what SNC Twitter is. No. My beef was with this entire thing that your your tweet back to me on my tweet said, oh, uh, no disrespect here, or, or I mean this with all respect, but I don't think this is ideal. Great response. And then click on your page, I was curious who you were, and see a screenshot of my tweet saying, this is outdated, this is stupid, and it doesn't tag me? Talk your shit to someone one-on-one, bro, right? Telling, calling you out and saying that you did that's not getting personal. I think you have, you, you know, you, you did bring up some valid points and I understand what you're saying. And it, and it is, you know, more for just accessory training exercises. And if you feel a certain way about things, I get it. But don't say something with, I mean this respectfully and be all proper and, and nice when the person is seeing what you're saying, when you're tagging them in it, and then go to your page and, and take a screenshot of their tweet. Like just, just be, I think we need to be more upfront with what we're doing in social media, right? Just that's my, that's my biggest thing. You have every right to your opinion, and I had no problem with it until I saw that. So I want to just put that out there, too. There's a right way to go about things. Last but not least, today, this week's follower question. This week's follower question comes from, one second, sorry, my Twitter's acting up. Uh, we have Trevor Lofstrom. When, where was your post on how long it takes to lose the effect of training, speed, strength, and endurance? All right, so I made a post about this, but it is not my own inspired idea. This comes from the Isarin training residuals chart. So if you just Google search that, it'll pop up. Um, you know, and, and if you just, if you go and search, uh, my tweets and you search Isarin, it should come up right away. And this is a good segue to today's topic about load management in season, but basically, you know, it gives a, a rundown of, um, you know, speed and, and how long you could retain those qualities without training them and strength and aerobic capacity. And it, it basically tells you that speed and, and, and power are going to diminish much quicker than, you know, aerobic capacity or strength training, which is very helpful for us when it comes to determining what we're going to prioritize, um, uh, in season when we have you know maybe less time to train. So I think that's a, a, a great kind of lead off question into today's topic when it comes to just kind of prioritizing what we need to do in season and understanding that. I think a lot of people don't even really understand that. And you know it leads them to miss out on things they need to train more than others. All right. So when we're talking about 
in-season versus off-season. I think the first thing we want to do, which is pretty important, is define what is the in-season and what is the off-season, right? Um, we define the in-season as the main season where your sport is actually played. And I think this is a big distinction. So, like, if you play baseball, technically, like, I would consider your in-season, your spring season, and, like, your summer, right? You're not considering fall ball, winter, of throw, going and, you know, throwing bullpens and playing indoor games. No. What your club team wants to do for the eight to nine months of the year um, where they train and practice, you know, all year round is is not what I would consider in season, right? Uh, the off season is the time of year where physical development and progression is your main focus, right? In season is the time of year when your sport games and practices are your main focus. Now, you could make the argument that depending on which athlete type of athlete you are or the unique athlete that you're dealing with, that the confines of those can change, right? An athlete who is tremendously underdeveloped from a physical standpoint, their offseason might be considered a longer chunk of time in terms of like what we're prioritizing in terms of the physical development and progression of strength and speed, maybe longer than an athlete where, you know, they're really strong and fast and genetically gifted, where maybe they're just focusing a little bit more on the sport, you know, for longer parts of the year. So I think that's like a big distinction you have to make is that offseason and in season, yeah, it has a general, you know, definition for everybody when it comes to like athletes as a whole but it can change in my opinion based on what your goals are right like that's going to shift based on the priority of the athlete like we all know athletes that maybe need a little more focus on physical development and then we all know athletes who are pretty strong and fast but need more time you know honing their skills like there's going to be a difference younger athletes in my opinion and this is also a big thing in season training is you know having a mindset where all training is the off season if you're a young athlete and you're untrained, like you should be, you know, 12 year, 12 months out of the year focusing on getting stronger and faster and more explosive for multiple reasons. One, you may be really lacking in those areas because you've never trained before. Two, uh, your outputs are not high enough where they're going to be intense enough that you cannot do your high intensity training throughout the year. What I mean by that is if you look at an athlete that's 18, 19, 20 years old, or even 15, 16, or 17, it's really more dependent upon their output. You know, they have a 30 something inch vertical jump. The jump training and speed training they're doing is going to be way more taxing and require way more recovery than the lower, you know, output young athlete, right? The young athlete can get away with doing, you know, five rep deadlifts and, and things like that, you know, throughout the year because they're not putting out as much output overall, which is not going to require as much rest or much isolation from what they're doing on the field and what they're doing in their training. Additionally, if you are behind, you do not have the luxury to only make gains in the offseason, right? You need to have the mentality that you are trying to make gains and progress throughout the entire year. If you only have, you know, a mindset where three months out of the year is when you're going to get bigger, faster, and stronger, and you're either going to not train during the other nine months of the year or you're going to train not as much, you're, and you're a young athlete, you are never going to grow. I will promise you this, if you are just consistent with your training all year round as a 12, 13, 14, and 15-year-old, and you know that is what you do, in addition to your sport, you will have just an automatic leg up on your peers from that aspect alone, that you were just consistent throughout the year and they weren't, I promise you it will be a gigantic separator for you as an athlete, right? Like you will definitely put some steps between you and your peers if you are getting that done because I promise you they are not, right? And it's amplified. Not only are you doing work, you know, and getting a step ahead, they're not and going a step behind. It's every one step you take, they're taking a step back. If you want to separate yourselves and, and, and give yourselves a competitive advantage, you know, that is one way to do it. Now, 
talking about setting program schedules, right? If you can, I think it would be helpful to go back and look at episode 184 uh, that I talked about, you know, building a training program and a schedule for your training program. I think that's a really important episode you could kind of pair with this when it comes to like what you're trying to set up before you train in season. Obviously, you want to have a plan. So I I talked about this in that episode and I tweeted about this, but, um, you know, the main areas, primary goals, primary movements, supplemental movements, accessory movements, speed and plyometrics, energy systems, right? When it comes to primary goals, what are we trying to accomplish with this block of training, right? Um, going into my season, what am I trying to accomplish? I'm a young athlete. I'm going to still try to make gains. I'm a, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old college athlete. I'm going to try to, you know, preserve what we've built, make, you know, gains here and there when we're able to, and, and make sure that we're not too fatigued to play our sport. My primary movements, my supplemental movements, my accessory movements, are we built towards speed, strength, both? Um, hypertrophy early in the off season, obviously not something you do in season as much, but like set the parameters of all these different areas, speed and plyometrics and energy systems. Same thing. What am I trying to accomplish with these main five areas, primary movements, supplemental movements, accessory movements, speed and plyometrics and energy systems. What am I trying to get done with these five main areas of, uh, my programming? If I set those up from the get go, it's going to be a lot easier to kind of, you know, have that blueprint and, and roadmap as I go along. Next, I think it's super important to try and identify sports schedule. Winter games, right? Like we we work with a lot of hockey players. They do a lot of weekend games, not weekday games. Um, you know, baseball players might be playing every other day or every day. So that's a little harder to deal with. Uh, if you work with a pitcher who only pitches, find out, you know, if they're a starter, when, when, what is their, their starting schedule going to be? You might know when they're going to throw before the week starts. You can map out your schedule, right? When are games? When are practices, right? Throughout the week, when are practices? When are the most difficult practices, right? I mentioned the hockey players that I work with. We have days where they just do skill work. We have the power play days, which are, you know, pretty much a gigantic, intense scrimmage for anywhere up to, you know, an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, right? When are those? When are the season's most important games, right? Um, I think this is important to remember because, you know, you can maybe try to make some strides or prioritize training a little more maybe earlier in the season if, you know, playoffs and, and, and more showcase games and things like that are going to come later on. You need to know when that is happening to give yourself a full idea of what you're trying to do. Work based on training residuals. So I mentioned before with the follower question of the week on Isserin's residual training chart, right? How long can certain attributes be maintained without being worked on? You have to go into your in-season training with this thought process, right? Speed and power are going to diminish much faster, maybe only five to seven days, than aerobic capacity and strength training. So if you are in a pinch where you can only train one day in a given week, I tend to lean more towards doing Sprint and power exercises with my older athletes, where you know they're more susceptible to lose that, um, you know, after five or seven days versus they did two weeks without strength training. However, you could also look at it this way: I have a young athlete who's doing a lot of unloaded sprint work and jumping and moving full speed in their sport, and we could only train once that week. And you know, strength is something that is going to be continue to be important for them early on in their development versus when they're older, when you know it kind of reaches its potential in terms of what it's contributing to speed and power gains. So in that case, I might say, okay, we can only train one day this week. We're going to do strength training because you're already getting a lot of sprint work in in your practices. And that goes back to like talking to your athlete: what are they doing in practices? you know, pick the brain a little bit. How is it structured? What are you working on a lot of? What are you working on a little bit of? You know, how do you feel? All that kind of stuff. Working based on what the athlete sees in sport, which I've already alluded to a little bit. High speeds, less resistance, right? They are doing 
full speed sprinting. So we like to do maybe more resistance sprinting during the, the in season, right? Um, younger athletes worrying more about the strength training, things they're not getting. They're not lifting uh, weights and getting stronger in their practice. They're doing full speed sprinting and other sport movements. Sport-specific movements versus general uh, capacity and robustness, right? Baseball players are taking a you know, couple hundred swings and making a couple hundred throws each week. Um, you know, maybe don't need to hammer the rotational power output in season, right? Use the 45-minute to hour window we have to just work on overall physical qualities. And that's, again, going to be dictated by the level of the athlete you're working with, the physical standings of the athlete. Like, do they need to get a lot stronger? Are they already pretty strong? Are they a bench player not getting as many reps or a starter getting more reps? These are all things that you need to consider and make these decisions. So that's, I think, the biggest thing that I could take tell you to leave with from this episode is, yeah, you're going to have guidelines and principles, much like you would have a structure to your, um, your training program or your training cycle before you go in and do it, but you need to remain flexible. You cannot go into this being super rigid, it's not going to be possible. Be flexible, be inquisitive, right? Flexible plus inquisitive gives you the ability to say, okay, I have my guidelines and principles that I'm driven by, but I'm not going to just break, be the tree that doesn't you know, kind of sway, be the skyscraper that doesn't sway in the wind and just snaps and breaks off. You have to be grounded. However, you need to have room for wiggle room. And a lot of that comes from just asking questions, you know, looking at each athlete as an individual in terms of where they are in their process. If you have groups of athletes that are around the same age, it gets a little easier because a lot of them need similar things. And if they're on the same teams, they have similar circumstances, but you need to be driven by principles, but be willing to be flexible and, and not obsess over, you know, missing one thing one week or the athlete can only do one day of the two planned days you had one week because the scheduling popped up. It's going to happen. Your best friend is doing the best that you can and not stressing out over little things because I promise you, you cannot control them and it's going to make you go absolutely nuts if you start to like obsess over the one day you missed or things not going exactly perfectly how you went to how uh, you planned. It doesn't go exactly perfect and according to plan during the off season, so we can't expect it to go that way in season. There's a lot of moving things. That old game Frogger back in the day, if you're an older coach, you remember this, right? You were a frog and you were trying to get across the street with moving cars. That is the in-season. You were literally just trying to make it to the other side without having a friggin' fatal accident and, and losing the game, right? Pick your spots. Cautiously move along. Have a strategy like, you know, oh, the cars are going to usually move this way. I'm going to try to do this way. But you can't just go through the whole thing expecting that to happen. Keep your eyes up in front of you and just look around and, and, and take note of what's going on and move when things move, right? That's the big, the best analogy that I can give. Have your training day set, but like I said, maintain flexibility. So if I go into a week knowing that practice is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we have off days on Tuesday and Thursday, I can better plan what my training is going to be. If I don't ask these questions and don't have this information, how am I going to plan when I train? Brings me to my next point. Try to train on days you have other activity. Make sure days off are completely off. I know conventional wisdom would say, oh, like we're not practicing or doing something on that day, so let's get our training in. However, I like to look at it where days off should be completely off. If I practice Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then say, okay, I'm going to strength train on Tuesdays and Thursdays when I'm off from practice, that now became five straight days that I did physical activity. Whereas if I do, you know, Monday, Wednesday train after practice, I could have Tuesday, Thursday completely off to allow recovery. I prefer to go with that method, right? That, that's what I do and that's how I think of it and we've had success with that. Last but not least, and I already said this a little bit, do not be rigid. 
It's not going to be perfect. You have to understand that. I alluded to this before with the tweet about, you know, the things you obsess over that, you know, most people don't even think about. This is one of those things. Like, it's in season. It's going to be messy. you got to do the best that you can. doesn't mean just go fly off the handle at a whim. Like, you got to have a structure that's going to guide you when these things happen. But you need to be flexible, right? That's what I want to leave you guys with today. Uh, I hope that's helpful. I Like I said, you know, if you haven't listened to episode 184 yet, going 184 and then going right back to this episode might be something that's helpful for you to kind of get the, you know, full idea of what goes into scheduling a program or putting a program schedule together and then put that with this episode. I think it could be pretty helpful in terms of combining the two. So uh, I hope that was helpful to you guys. Let me know your thoughts, feedback, share this if it's helpful to you, to other athletes and coaches that struggle with what they should do in season. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry DiFilippo, signing off from the show that's changing how we view sports performance, training, and business.